On this episode of The Glue Guys today, we will dive even deeper into the Nets coaching search, partly based off of Mark Stein's reporting about the shortlist for Nets coaches. And also, it's, it's also paired with Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, because Phil mm. Jackson has us thinking we should smoke peyote and yes. talk about coaching searches. Deep dives galore, spelunking on this episode, you might say. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, hello. Brian. Flat. Ugh. Ugh. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com. A lot of good content right there. Flat, and flat, flat. A lot of good content on TheAthletic.com. 40% off an annual subscription to the athletic, theathletic.com slash glue guys. And I'll tell you why you want to dive in, particularly for this episode, because I will be referencing a batch of stories that have been written over the past year from the athletic that will influence our minds into who should be the next Nets coach. And that is what we're going to talk about today. The next Nets coach. Brian, how are you? I am fired up, ready to go. Had We had a big week last week, Mike. I don't know. Do you want to take a second to just like pat ourselves on the back for just, <laughs> you know, being just rising and grinding. I do want to pat our listeners on the back because yes. listenership has been super steady and that's abnormal oh, that's around the nice. podcast industry. Thanks, guys. I didn't know that. I didn't know you, you guys, guys all didn't abandon us. You guys continually have air pumped my ego as mm. we as a listener. No, but it's been good because we've been Brian and I have really been digging deep into the ground getting lower and lower deeper into the earth's core to figure out the answer of who the nets are a going to hire as the next coach. And then who the third star would getting be. closer to that liquid hot magma and the center. And we've been doing it. There's been very ways that I would say all of our episodes, you can just continue to go back to and kind of l- listen to dig in which parts you want. There's, we did a best fit for nets. Third star. We did most realistic third star fit. And then two interviews of recent John Hollinger, John Hollinger, one of the smartest men around basketball, uh, joined the show for about 15 minutes to talk about Nets free agency, Nets trades, Nets next head coach, Kenny Atkinson a little bit. So that was really good. And then we had Chris Chioza on the show. And Chris, matter of fact, um, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but particularly if you're interested in Kevin Durant playing basketball again, Chris Chioza had some interesting thoughts about that. Moreover, Mike, I mean, so much good content behind us and so much more to come. You know, that's really that's that should be the message that everyone's hearing here. Like, for for instance, beginning with Mike, do you consider yourself a bit of a Hayoka? <laughs> do you know what a Hayoka is? No. Yeah, you do. Come on, you watched the last dance, and you know. Oh that, yeah, sorry, that, I was on. The, I was on the elliptical as it was happening. That so. Phil didn't. You weren't listening to the finer details. Well, I wasn't. I was plugged in. Um, oh, is that the backwards walker? That's the backwards walking man. Yes, of the tribe. Um, yeah, I'm the opposite. I, I walk straight ahead. That's on, true. On a line. Yeah, I refuse. Maybe to a little trouble. lateral. You can do some oh, some bobbing shucking and shucking and jiving. Shucking <laughs> and jiving. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you watch some last dance? Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. So. I got to say, so the the kind of the reason why Brian and I are talking about 
Nets coaching search right now, even though we have talked about it previously, and of course we're going to continue to talk about it, is because during episode three, when Doug Collins is introduced and they're describing Doug Collins, I got such strong Kenny Atkinson vibes, it was jarring, uh, personally. And obviously the Bulls at that time when they hired Doug Collins is different from when the Nets hired Kenny Atkinson. Different times, different talent, of course. But like the way they describe Doug Collins is a uh, super hard worker, sweats through his suit, um, a guy that like players get really close to as they're developing. He helps develop these guys, a young, unproven coach. And even I think Kenny and Doug Collins, Doug Collins then and Kenny Atkinson now had the exact same forehead. Yeah, the brow. Right? It did. It is something about that, that formidable brow that just yeah. like an intense pulled back. Like Kenny had like it's as if his skull, because he worked so hard, was about to burst through his skin. That's how hard he would work for the Nets. The thing, the only difference was that LA looks hadn't been invented in, in nineteen ninety one. And so he couldn't use a whole half a bottle to slick back his hair like Kenny does. That's um, the difference. I, I, I did love Doug Collins' hair. It was a bit mullety, a bit yeah. mullety, a, a little more professional. On the um, on the spectrum for sure. Um uh, but so it kind of got me thinking because obviously, so we've done this before in the past where I have looked through all the coaches who won a championship in the NBA over the past basically 30 years. And for the most part, 95% of the time, you could link the coach who won the championship. He was either hired the season, bef- either that season or the season before, took over for someone else, and then the team wins a championship. Now, like you have coaches like Steve Kerr who've won multiple. So he counts, though, because Mark Jackson yeah. is fired. Steve Kerr wins a championship. The first one. It, it matters for the first one. It matters for the first one. The The only coach that like doesn't apply for is Eric Spolstra is one. Rick Carlisle when he won with the Mavs. But but again, you have Phil Jackson, even Phil Jackson getting hired and taking over the Kobe Shaq Lakers. He ends up winning a bunch. Greg Popovich was an executive with the Spurs. They fired their coach. They tank for Tim Duncan. And then in Tim Duncan's second season, they win an NBA championship with Greg Popovich at the helm. So even Greg Popovich was really the guy who replaced the guy, Nick Nurse, last year. Dwayne Casey fired. Nick Nurse comes in. So the Nets are sitting in this position. We would love if, in fact, Kenny Atkinson's firing would lead to an NBA championship. Amazing how consistent that is. I mean, and we can even go back to like Larry Brown's Pistons before we can get another example of a, a, a one-off not conforming to this, this archetype. Example. Well, Larry Larry Brown came in and, and won the championship with the right? Pistons because Rick Carlisle was oh a my. Pistons coach. Wow, no. Rick Carlisle, I right? think Rick Carlisle took him to the Eastern Conference Finals. They actually fire Rick Carlisle after taking the Pistons Eastern Conference Finals, hire Larry Brown, and I think that season Larry Brown wins a championship. Wow, with the Pistons. So it's like Spolstra, it's Rick Carlisle in Dallas, and then Chuck Daly with the Pistons, who obviously was a featured player in. Uh, the uh, the wow. last dance. Sorry, wow. my mind wandered there for a second. No, so let me ask okay. you. Mm. There's kind of a way. I, there's a structure which we can do this, and let me just say the news out front. So we go. Everyone knows the Mark Stein report right now, and it wasn't sh- jarring or shocking. But basically, what he did was he laid out the five names that the Nets are considering at this moment. But even he adds that the Nets' head coaching search is not really fully activated. But the five names are Ty Lue, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, and Jacques Vaughn, the current interim coach. Um, People were horrified to hear that list of names. I'll say that. I'll say that. <laughs> um, outside of Tyrone Lue, who I think, Mike, you'll you'll make um, a big case for later, um, 
that list of names is giving people shivers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jacques Vaughn is not, but like, um, I mean, we can go name by name, but um, name by name. <laughs> but Jason Kidd, I mean, really, you know, you want to circle that in a big red sharpie and and um, be horrified by that one in particular and i think most people did i think that was scary for a lot of people to see that um i, I yeah. think and i want to be fully honest so at, at one point i think it was like two years ago brandon and i almost got jason kidd to come on the pod he yeah. was literally 30 minutes from the time that he was supposed to call us and record an episode with us which would have been pretty cool because been good yeah yeah because he kind of matters in Nets lore. I love, I love when you start airing out the dirty, the dirty. dirty. I love, <laughs> love it. And so I was really excited about it. And like, even now I kind of feel like we could maybe get Jason kid. So how hard do <laughs> so you, you want to, <laughs> so you don't want to, so, yeah. he did this interview with Sarah Kustak on, yes. Like they did like a, a classic Jason Nets game, uh, Jason kid game with the Nets. So they did a, a Jason kid interview with Sarah Kustak and then the, the game. And like, when I see those things happen, it makes me believe that Jason Kidd's PR people are wanting to put out the feelers again because if because Kidd, I would imagine, would want this job. Why would he not? Oh, come on, get a, um, he wants to be back on top, especially with a place that 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 didn't get along with him in the first place. That's I mean, that's ultimate. You can savor that victory for a long time. I'll say this: here's how we can position this, Jason Kidd. You know, if you want to set the record straight, come on. But until then, in the vacuum of that, <laughs> that of that information, we're gonna have to just you know come up with our come to our own conclusions, Mike. Exactly. That's, you know, and and sometimes those conclusions they might seem unfair to you if you if that you feel that way. Come on by and set the set the record straight. That's actually the Stephen A. Smith school of getting people to do interviews, right. which is like I'm gonna talk shit about you in a good way, very clever way, and then it's gonna convince you so much. That you, Kevin Durant, will then have to come on first take, which is exactly what happened. Stephen A. Smith talked crap about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant got so mad about it that he ended up going on Stephen A. Smith's show and Gotta ratings buku bucks. Straight. Um, so the record as it currently stands is that I think the comp that we came up with, I think we've done this a couple of times, but that Jason Kidd's core skill is is politicking. He's the little finger of NBA coach candidates. This is a Game of Thrones reference. Yes, yes. So for and, those of you who know, that's that's kind of a pejorative. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a pejorative. Um, because Jason Kidd has shown... So one in Brooklyn, him and Billy King had a power struggle that Jason Kidd ended up losing, I forget. He lost that power struggle, right? Technically. Didn't I think they everyone both lose it? Lost. I thought everyone lost there, yeah. But yeah. Jason Kidd left before Billy King. That's true. So Jason Kidd lost and then... What it was a Joe Prunty came in as I don't even remember. That's kind of crazy that, but like Jason Kidd lost a power struggle, and he was when he was in Milwaukee, seemingly was also part of this power struggle along with the owners. There's two sort of operating owners who own the Milwaukee Bucks, and they've kind of consistently had like who's the top dog in the organization at various times. And Jason Kidd seemed to be favoring one owner than the other, which led to maybe not his complete firing, but led to the partial reason why he got fired and as you say Jason Kidd seems gifted in trying to align his power under a certain person or and then to try to gain that power and I don't know if that's 
so, that would scare me if I'm Sean Marks. It would frankly scare me. <laughs> It'll surprise you to but know Jason that could come on the podcast. I've uh, in while well, in quarantine gone back and watched all of Mad Men yet again. A thing that I do from time to time, just just because it's it's so good. But for me, uh, Jason Kidd is a perfect account man. Basically, he aligns himself with one other representative, and then you know he can go from agency to agency and say, "I have these connections. I can maybe bring them in." You know that sort. Of, and so in this case. Giannis, Who is the it, connection? Yeah. The, Giannis is the connection that he's apparently positioned himself as some kind of father figure to Giannis. I don't know. Some, something like this. Um, but the, uh, the yeah, the connection there, I guess, goes very deep. At, at least that's what Jason Kidd would want us to believe. <laughs> at the yeah. very least, that's what we're hearing in the news. Um, do you buy that, Mike? And if it actually does lead to us getting Giannis... Do you care to have like? Does it matter? Jason Kidd can you can have <laughs> you know yeah. that's I would say actual... Jason Kidd and Giannis <laughs> right right okay exactly. and like okay let me let me talk about Jason Kidd as a coach and I'll get to the Giannis connection thing because I mm-hmm. I want to kind of qualify this yeah a let's bit. bear down let's bear down I don't I can't qual I cannot tell you from my level of expertise which is minimal that how good or bad Jason Kidd as a coach all I can tell you is the things that happened the moment after he left the Bucks so they bring in Mike Budenholzer who I do think is probably one of the better coaches in the NBA. He's proven over his time with the Hawks and now with the Bucks that he can put together a squad and they can win basketball games at an extremely high rate. If you don't remember Mike Bullhoser with the Hawks, they won like 65 games or whatever it was, like a completely shocking 65 because the best player on the team was Joe Johnson, I think, at the time. Al Horford, was he in Atlanta? I don't even remember anymore. Mike Bullhoser, qualified coach, took over for Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd in Milwaukee was running, if people remember at the time, a blitzing defense, which is, you know, a guy comes out, offensive player comes around to pick both the guy guarding the offensive player and the guy guarding the the screener attack the ball handler, try to force the ball out of his hands as quickly and to make bad decisions with the ball. And that proved to be a bad defense. They were bottom of the half in the league, even with Giannis. Okay, so Mike Bullholzer goes to Milwaukee. He gets Brooke Lopez, so there is some difference in in personnel. He also probably got Eric Bledsoe, which I'm sure Jason Kidd did not have at the time. But the Bucs immediately become one of the best defenses in the NBA by doing the exact opposite, which is by holding back, waiting back, protecting the rim, actually not really guarding threes all that aggressively, not guarding the pick and roll all that aggressively. So, and then offensively, we even knew at the time he wasn't doing the things that unlocked Giannis to the level that he is. Giannis went to a whole new level under Mike Boldenholzer, a level that he was not at under Jason Kidd. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been pretty well documented that Jason Kidd's offensive sets in in Milwaukee were bonkers. Like, he was basically wanting to recreate the, like, Mikey. Like, he wanted to turn John Henson into Mikey Moore, like, shooting mid-range jumpers. <laughs> like, it was an insane offense, and it had no business in the modern NBA. So to link back to Giannis, I can believe that Giannis is um, has a very strong personal relationship to Jason Kidd. And to Giannis seems like no one fully knows who Giannis is. But anytime there's like a profile of Giannis Antetokounmpo, family is the biggest thing and loyalty is the biggest thing, which would probably lead people to believe that Milwaukee has a better shot at keeping him than we are led to believe maybe externally. But, of course, if Jason Kidd is the cherry on top of the Sunday that would convince Giannis to come to the Nets. <laughs> that's not a cherry on top of that Sunday. That's the, that's the, yeah, that's the pill you have to swallow to 
get Giannis. That's the pill on top of the yeah. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Sure, that makes sense. And and it's funny how negative we are about Jason Kidd about how important he is as a player in Nets history. But I do think we have to remember, like, not every great player makes a great coach. Most part, and we'll talk about other point guards who are much worse than Jason Kidd who have become coaches who are now better coaches than Jason Kidd. Look at Steve Kerr in the last dance. Steve Kerr was the eighth best player on that Bulls team, the ninth best player on that Bulls team, and he is a top three coach in the NBA. Greg Popovich, not a good basketball player. Nick Nurse, not a good basketball player. Um, Like, who's the best basketball player plus best coach? I guess Larry Bird was a good coach and, of course, a phenomenal player. Um, That's a good question. Like, Bill Russell was a player coach and won championships, but that doesn't really count. It doesn't really count. Uh, I'm sure there's, like, names like Mo Cheeks was a really good basketball player. Uh, Mark Jackson was a good basketball player, but not as good as, you know, so like I'm what I'm basically just trying to say, we don't need to go through the whole list, is that just because Jason Kidd was a really good basketball player and thought to be a very cerebral player, a guy who at times I remember, like, I think it was like Coach K said specifically, Jason Kidd is one of the, the smartest basketball players I have ever coached. You can be a very smart basketball player and not be a smart coach. It's very possible. I think it's a that like different thing. There's a couple of different ways of being cerebral. Like I'm sort of like uh, now reminded of the last dance Dennis Rodman episode again, where he's sort of he's watching um, tape and stuff and, and studying people and like basically just trying to memorize the trajectory of of where the ball goes after so misses. Incredible. And that's yeah. like a very particular kind of like pattern building, you know, and ability to like sort of watch something and then like you know sense yourself in that same space and what you would do. <clears throat> and that's like genius of a certain kind. That's physical genius. Uh, spatial awareness genius, but I don't know that it's like long-term macro planning a strategy of basketball kind of genius. You know, it's a very different kind of thing. And I think that Jason Kidd falls more to that end of the spectrum. Like he was very intuitive on the basketball court um, and like eyes in the back of his head, you know, meme, but that doesn't necessarily translate into those other sort of more macro entities in, in basketball. Well, and, and like, so you look at Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was featured on episode four. Watching the footage of him as a basketball player was like, yeah. <laughs> that's a guy that would not survive. How about those shoulders? That's a narrow, that's a narrow shoulder. I'm trying to get that Phil Jackson body, man. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Skinny, <laughs> skinny, very... broad shoulders, big elbows. That kind of body. Get I mean, I was excited to see that he was wearing suspenders because those, that fits a suspender <laughs> look particularly well, in my opinion. The fashion of Last Dance just from the past and from when we're getting that current footage is just top notch i feel like also the amount of cigar smoking is like i really it's been tempted to now get back into like i think people (laughs) should have cigars i feel like this is you know yeah tell people that during yeah after the after the respiratory (laughs) get back Um, into cigars (laughs) back into cigars (laughs) so phil jackson not a good basketball player uh greatest basketball coach of all time if not second greatest basketball coach pat riley so and you talk about the spatial awareness the the terrible like jason kidd's gift on the basketball court was being able to sort of see the chessboard laid out in front of him before all the little moves were made and he could quickly diagnose if i'm going to go here then this guy's going to need the ball those are split second decisions where a coach needs to have the long-term view of if i do this thing in november How's it going to impact the players in March, right? Like you, that's, that's a whole different part of the brain than the guy who can be on the court and be making these sort of quick little decisions. And some of the best parts of the Phil Jackson school of coaching too, is that he, um, 
like the naming of the seasons is so brilliant. Just like, cause like people that just think in narratives, people like to think in stories. And even if the story is, this is the end of the story. That's a motivating force of a kind that like, is just really, it's just really smart. So Jason Kidd, we would not endorse the Jason Kidd return to Brooklyn, though it would be exciting. Even if he was a bad interview, I want people to remember he was a horrible interview in terms of like being on TV. He was not that much fun to, as a, Guy watching the team, he was not a fun person to add a layer of entertainment on the team. Though you don't really need that from your coach. I don't. I don't want Jason Kidd. We can all. We all can. All feel that way. We all can feel excited that how he was as a player. But we all can also be honest and be and say the only reason why Jason Kidd should be on this list is if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving so believe, like so trust what he is going to say and. To have buy-in from your two superstars does matter. Like that's the actually the number one thing that matters. But as a coach, not a good coach. But Mike, if it brings Giannis, <laughs> come on. If it brings Giannis, then we're. You know the thing is, I think if Jason could could ensure Giannis, he would already be a head coach somewhere. And because if it brings Giannis, that kind of quotation mark phrase, um, it feels like a Knicks pick. It feels like he's a Knicks coach. One, he hasn't. He played for the Knicks as well. Um, obviously, not. He was not nearly as good as it when he was with the Nets. But he played for the Knicks as well. He hasn't coached there before. It is a little weird to go back to a team you've already coached, even though. So net income via the Nets daily Twitter account did have something. I, we should add this. The, he has the other view. He likes, I believe, Jason Kidd as a coach, and he said this about Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd had problems with Nets old management and old ownership. They're all gone, so there's no surprise he's on the list. He'd be on any smart team's list of head coaching candidates. And let's note that in 2021, Giannis will be a free agent. So it is very true. And Jason Kidd's problems were with maybe Prokhorov, probably not really, but Billy King for sure, and maybe um, other people within Nets management in some way. Well, he also very notably disagreed with the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade. And that's sort of like the beginning of the riff. He wanted to stay fast and thought that that slowed it down the team. So like... You know, there's. I agree with him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think in hindsight, a lot of people would agree with him. Um, so there's like that part of it too, where it's like it, it went hanky when um, when that trade went down. So, um, so Jason Kidd like returning to Brooklyn wouldn't be as weird as like I don't. Know, you just pick any other situation in the NBA where like the current management structure is still there and the current owner is still there. It's a totally new, you know, new people in town running the show. Or whatever you want to talk about. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> sorry. I love that but, when you get to the age where you're just burping through when you tell you what happens. Katie, I mean, when I'm in my like little home office here, I'm just not paying attention. And she's like, do you realize that you burp like once every like five minutes? You're just burping. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other names on the list, I do want to give some run to it. The one thing I really can't answer is Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy's on the list. There's just been too much time. I cannot answer the appeal of Jeff Van Gundy. I imagine he's the type of person who he probably is so well connected in the NBA. In fact, I know he is well connected and he is thought fondly of from his time with the Knicks and Houston that that his name will continue to come up. He's probably he's not that old. He's not like Phil Jackson old at this point, Um, though. I didn't really look up the numbers. I just can't answer to what kind of coach Jeff Van Gundy is going to be at this point. Who knows? You know, I can look at it a comparable in football where John Gruden 
went to back to the Raiders and he coached the Raiders and the, they actually haven't been as horrible as people thought. And there can be some perspective. There can be some additional learning by being a broadcaster. You get to kind of get inside multiple teams, you get to build relationships. He's probably been thinking about what it, what it would be like if he was a coach. I know he has talked about it before, but I cannot tell you what kind of coach he would be. I think he would be like verbosely anti-analytics, sort of like backwards thinking coach of yesteryear. Like, and also kind of uh, stir up some trouble like with the characters on the team. <laughs> I think it'd be like really just like on all fronts, not not an ideal fit. So the guy next to him in the broadcast booth is Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is another name that people have very strong reactions about. Rich Kleiman, Katie's manager, loves Mark Jackson, has continually said he would love to see Mark Jackson get a new head coaching job and was believed if KD and Kyrie were going to go to the Knicks, not that they were a package deal, but that Mark Jackson would be strongly considered, obviously with Jackson's ties to that franchise. Um, what we remember last of Mark Jackson as a coach was that he took a bad Golden State Warriors team and helped develop Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. I think Draymond was also part of the development, too, uh, into one of the most exciting young teams in the NBA, though not not to the level that maybe they should have gone to, which they eventually did once Steve Kerr was brought in. Um, but he developed them. Positives are that the players loved him dearly, it seemed like. Curry was particularly – he had to put out – he put himself put out a statement – to basically thank Mark Jackson and to say that he didn't, he didn't want this to happen. Um, but there are negatives about Mark Jackson. One is that it was obvious that he wasn't at the level that Steve Kerr was at in terms of like all changing the, the offense changed immediately with Steve Kerr and it became the most exciting offense of a generation mm-hmm. once Steve Kerr took over the team. And Mark Jackson had the exact same weapons. And... I'll say this, reading about it again about Mark Jackson's strength, it seemed like it was developmental coach. It was team ethic, but development is not a thing that this Nets team is going to need. And it feels a little Kenny Atkinson-ish again. Like, do we don't need a guy who, who is, you know, going to – you want every coach to help develop a team, but that shouldn't be the primary calling card. That feels still like a Mark Jackson calling card, that he could help guards grow. Maybe that – is because that's the only job he's had and that is what happened under him and maybe it can be something different, but I don't think that's it. I also think that like, and not that this is a knocker, I don't really know, but I think part of why people think Mark Jackson's a tough fit for a lot of teams is that sort of the nitrous oxide in the gas tank of his galvanizing a team and like building that is religiosity. It seems to be like that was a big thing for him. And I think that a lot of people find that that's like, has the ability to be a pretty weird thing to inject into a team's fabric, you know, just that it's like a hard, hard sell to like build a team around. Like God, God wants this for us. You're hundred percent right. Brian. Uh, Oh, Oh wow. Thank I you. would suggest people Google Mark Jackson fired by the warriors. There's an ESPN article from the time. It's actually pretty extensive. It's interesting back then, which was like 2013 when, when things like that happened, it was more than just tweets. Like we actually had like a full sort of story. Um, there's some details in there that will kind of tell you about players love Mark Jackson for sure. He was successful for sure, but there's also other things that didn't quite go well, including there. I don't, do you remember the instance where one of Mark Jackson's assistant coaches was recording their coaching meetings and I do, yeah, vaguely remember and, this and he like caught him in some way. I don't know how it was so secretive, but he caught him in some way and he had, he had to fire him 
immediately. And then in, within uh, 12 more days, I was reading Brian Scalabrini was reassigned as an assistant coach to the G League because him and Scalabrini were having issues. Right. There's, there, right. So there's like a lot of vibes there to be vibes, had. vibes for sure. I can't say, you know, reading more about Mark Jackson just from the positives. I think the coach of this team, X's and O's doesn't doesn't matter as much as the but we even though that Kenny Atkinson was viewed as not being completely adequate in that direction from what we could tell from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I still don't think X's and O's is gonna be the thing that's gonna win the day. I, I believe Sean Marks and the culture of the team can figure out a system enough that will be satisfying, that will fit with Katie and Kyrie. But those guys are mostly going to just be, it's going to be ISO heavy, pick and roll heavy. That is what it's going to be. That's what even when KD went to Golden State, their beautiful system went away and it became back to Kevin Durant getting the ball, Steph getting the ball, and that's how it works. So I don't think X's and O's is going to be like a heavy emphasis. I think it's going to be personality, personality control, and what we talk about with Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson's greatest attribute seemingly beyond the triangle, which we all love the triangle was that he had a gift at figuring how to press the buttons of his players at certain times to get the performance out that he needed to. And looking at these list of coaches, the guy that is the most intriguing to me is Ty Lue. And I think there's, there's a couple of, of good articles about Ty Lue that really is insightful. I don't know what do you feel about this, but Ty Lue won a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He went to three straight finals, but I can't tell you Ty Lue's coaching style, right? Like there's nothing definitive about Ty Lue. We were sort of looking into it too. And, you know, for a lot of this stuff, you'll see a bit, bunch of like YouTube videos about their like particular philosophies. And there, there is some of that for Tyrone Lue, but I mean, what's there is as it's he's sort of a blank slate. It's sort of how I feel about Tyrone Liu. I think he's like kind of a perfect um, like coaching chameleon and for like successful teams like this, um, or potentially. I don't know. He's only ever done it once, right? So like I think you have to do it a couple times for that like pattern to really take hold. But um, for me, just based on what I've seen, it's just like he's he's just sort of a like a an entity that is there to just reflect back at the team whatever they want to see. Does that right? Does that feel right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like you can look at past coaches who've won championships. You know, people are praising Nick Nurse for his style, like his ability to get, uh, perf- like put guys in a certain role to get a really good performance out of someone like Fred VanVleet in a certain moment. Like he he's really gifted that. Even Eric Spolster now is viewed much more thought highly as a coach, even though he's not winning championships than he was when he was winning championships. Because there's a certain heat system. It's like, we're going to get everyone in the best shape. We're going to be very switchable on defense. We're going to do all the things that we really need to do. There's a lot of effort there. There's very much like a heat culture and a system. A bunch of other coaches in the NBA, if you said, here the Nets have this guy, I could tell you, okay, that's mostly what the team I'm going to get. Lionel Hollins, you're going to get a very boring team that doesn't shoot threes and plays a bunch of dinosaurs. So, But with Ty Lue, he's won a championship, and I couldn't tell you what his coaching style is going to look like. I couldn't tell you what the offense exactly is going to look like. I could guess that it's still going to be heavy on threes because that's what everyone's going to do. But the thing about Ty Lue that is the most intriguing thing about Ty Lue is seemingly his ability to manage personalities and egos. There's a really great Joe Varden article from The Athletic from earlier this year 
Uh, Joe Varden covered the Cleveland Cavs for many seasons. I actually specifically when he worked, I think it was for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. His whole job was to just cover LeBron. Anything LeBron did, that's what he was going to write about. He was specifically a LeBron James beat reporter. And of course, during that time, he gets connections with Ty Lue and Kyrie Irving and people like that. So he writes this article for The Athletic, which you can read if you get an athletic subscription, theathletic.com slash Google guys. In it, it's Ty Lue's first big interview since he got fired from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Lue goes into his time with Cleveland, why it ended. If people don't remember, Lou Lou was fired six games into the season, the season after LeBron leaves to go to the Lakers. So LeBron leaves to go to the Lakers in the offseason. Lou is still the coach. He coaches the team for six games, and he's and he's told to only play young players. And then in one game, he decides to play Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith a lot, and then he gets fired. Because management is saying, we don't want you to play those guys. And he's saying, well, I'd like to win basketball games. Okay. So that's honorable, right? Tyron Lue almost becomes the Lakers head coach this offseason. But he didn't like, reportedly from Joe Varden, he didn't like the length of the contract and the money being offered. Which is a little interesting. Because we don't know if Joe Sy is going to be a charitable coach in that sense, or head or owner in that sense, or if he's going to oh. be uncharitable. Oh, you think you have a, a beat on that? Well, he's just he, two major executives at at the within the Nets have left in in a short period of time. I don't think money is the issue, but we never know. A lot of owners don't value coaching to pay coaches. Even we go back to the last dance. Phil Jackson is allowed to coach just one last season and then is allowed to leave. The Bulls didn't value Phil Jackson in that way. Owners they value players, they don't really value coaches at times I mean, they're not wrong for, for, yeah. for the most for like 99 percent of it they're not wrong i mean like look steve kerr is presiding over the worst team in basketball right now he's yeah a basketball he's a he's great the coach, worst coach yeah but that doesn't mean much if you have not the best players so here's the one i'll just do the one thing about lou and then we can get more into lou and all that all that baloney um but here there's one tremendous story in this Joe Varden piece about Ty Lue, and it goes to Game 7 of the NBA Finals, the 2016 NBA Finals, when the Cavs won the championship. And it talks about, of course, that LeBron was obviously the best player in the series. And Varden says, uh, the following story has been immortalized in books written about the Cavs from those years in that Game 7, in the first half and again at halftime. Lou continually called out LeBron at halftime, demanding that he has to get better. And there's a lot of specifics, but Lou goes right at LeBron James in the locker room at halftime of game seven, saying, you got to guard Draymond, stop turning the ball over, be aggressive, shoot the ball and be aggressive. LeBron was pissed at this. LeBron was furious. He goes to like Damon Jones and says, Are you, can you believe this? Can you really believe what Lou's saying to me? And Damon Jones says, uh, I heard that you trust Ty Lue over anyone else. How much you love Ty Lue as a coach. Why not trust him now? Then LeBron goes to James Jones, his team at the time, and James Jones says to him, well, LeBron, is he lying? And LeBron just, LeBron says, fuck you too. <laughs> wow. And, and then LeBron goes out in the second half, doesn't quite dominate, but they win the game <laughs> and he plays really well. Mm-hmm. And after the game, LeBron said to him, to Tyron Lou, you know how to push my buttons, don't you? And Lou says, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Wow. And Lou Spicy. says, that is my best story. So, Okay. What do you get out of that story? You get a you get a coach that understands there this is the biggest star of his generation. 
This is our Michael Jordan, right? In Game 7 of the NBA Finals, a chance where Cleveland has never been before to win, actually win an NBA championship. And here's Lou in, in the, at halftime. Must have been a highly pressured situation. Going at LeBron and, and knowing that I'm going to have to really actually, I can't let him be complacent. I have to nudge a little bit more. LeBron, one of the most competitive players of his generation. And he nudges a little bit more and he gets a better performance. And they end up winning the NBA Finals, partly because of Le- Le- Ty Lue's ability to diagnose what he needed out of his player at a certain moment. And there's many more examples within the story. It talks about how Lou uh, was cautious to take the job at first when the when the Cavs had fired David Blatt. And David Griffin, the GM at the time, went to Lou and said, I want you to be the head coach. Lou was actually cautious. He, d- he didn't know if he could handle the situation because the locker room was such a mess. But Lou's entire goal was to come in and fix the personalities, manage the situation. And of course it ended up working out. You've talked me into it. Like, I mean, I feel like, I feel like you've first it was Phil Handy. <laughs> now it's Ty Lue. Phil Handy. <laughs> Maybe Phil Handy can still come over though and be the, like the chief assistant coach. And he could be the Kyrie whisperer in a way that he was actually in Cleveland. So that that's the big issue is that it's okay. So everyone's concerned if Ty Lue's the guy, Everyone's concerned about exactly his relationship with Kyrie because he obviously coached Kyrie in Cleveland. They won a championship together, but we also know many stories where it didn't work out. I I was texting with a, a friend who used to work in the league at some point. Um, he was saying about Ty Lue, you know, everyone talked about at the time when Phil came back to coach the Lakers, whether he and Kobe could get along because they had a rough relationship. And he said, well, they did end up figuring it out enough that they end up winning more championships together. So, you know, I'm sure there's some tension between Lou and Kyrie, but maybe they could both find it like mutually beneficial. Maybe there'll still be some tension, but they can still figure out a way to kind of get through that tension because they both know that Lou is the best man for the job and that Kyrie ultimately what he wants to win a championship and he's not going to win a championship with Jeff Van Gundy. You know totally. what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, <clears throat> tension's part of – it's a big ingredient in baking that championship cake in the first place. Like, you know, you don't want to avoid tension altogether. That's not yeah. how you do it. That's a good, I mean, that's actually what Kyrie Irving learned from Kobe Bryant is that you do need creative tension in a locker room to kind of push people in different directions because if everyone's complacent, uh, you end up not getting the best product, um, particularly in a highly pressured situation like an NBA team. I don't know. I mean – Maybe I didn't make the, the most tremendous case for Ty Lue, but I do think if Lou's best attribute is knowing when to push the right buttons for a team, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets and I have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, both prickly personalities, that quality that Ty Lue brings to a, a roster and brings to an organization is the thing I want most, more than tremendous X's, X's and O's, because I believe I could hire an assistant who can help in that fashion. I mean, Doc Rivers, frankly, has been that is where he's been. He's great at organization, great at sort of calming sort of different influences. And he isn't known as a great X's and O's guy because he also also hires guys on his bench who can help him with that. That's the point of, you know, you run an organization. You're not just the guy drawing up plays after timeouts all the time. And also to mention with that is <clears throat> Kevin Durant is outwardly like resentful of X's and O's. <laughs> like he like doesn't he laughs in the face of data analysis and graphs and things like that, like publicly. So getting getting a guy that's like, you know, leads with that foot super forward, probably not a great fit for what Kevin does. 
Yeah. So, and, and, and that's the thing again, it's like if Kyrie and Kevin Durant are you running your offense, you don't need that. You, you really don't need that extra layer of offensive complication. Like when they had, if you go back to the Warriors with Mark Jackson, you have these two guards in clay and Steph, you do need a structure a way it could work. Draymond Green is a guy who can help kind of grease the wheel a little bit in an offensive system. You look at look at all the 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 times when LeBron has won a championship. It's not like they were running the best offensive system. They they were they were doing just enough offensively differently that they weren't just ISO heavy completely. Like they weren't just James Harden's out there. There was enough juice to kind of do it differently. But even then it's like mostly like what we remember of their offense is LeBron doing what he was doing and passing out to shooters on the wing, Kyrie doing what he was doing and passing out to shooters on the wing or scoring himself and Kevin Love kind of fitting, figuring out how to fit within that context. But so you don't need X's and O's. You need personality. You need a guy who can bring a team together, who can keep a locker room together. And to me, from what you can tell from the outside, Ty Lue is the best guy at that. Um, Jacques Vaughn maybe is really good at that. We just don't know enough about Jacques Vaughn either, but he could certainly, it's been done before. Phil Jackson was the assistant coach for Doug Collins and then he became Phil Jackson, you know, like Nick nurse was the assistant coach for Dwayne Casey. So it's not impossible. That it's sort Jacques of unfortunate like too, that, that this happened right during Jacques Vaughn's tryout period. Um, because that, that does shorten his tryout for sure. Well, there is an interesting scenario where if basketball does come back, you know, we're, there's a Anthony Fauci interview, Doctor Anthony Fauci, with the New York Times. Oh. Wow, um, prestigious. Where he talks about, he says some sports may have to think about not playing for the whole year, but then he does go into well, if our testing gets up to a certain level and players are comfortable with being isolated, because that is what they will have to. Players will have to be isolated in a hotel in some way. If players are okay with that, then you could probably return. Obviously, no fans in the stands and all that fun stuff like that. Um, if the season does return and LeBron James, not LeBron James, Kevin Durant is healthy. Okay. Okay. Maybe I thought, Jock I thought, Vaughn. I no, thought we were going to get through the whole episode. No. He Okay. He's healthy, by the way. We all know ah, that from our Chris ah, Chiosa interview. Chris, literally, he's saying we're okay, playing 5 okay. on 5. He's healthy, Brian. I know. I know, Mike. But I feel like it's like on the other side of the wall that I can't see is just like scrawl of like red yarn and like tying together the, the, the conspiracy. It's just a straight line. It's, yeah. it's a picture of Durant. One piece of is yarn. he healthy? <laughs> yes. And he's healthy. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, but it, okay. Let's say basketball comes back. Jock Vaughn will still be the head coach of the team. If that's the case. And let's say Durant plays. Maybe, maybe this is a, a possible scenario where. Durant can prove or Jock Vaughn can prove himself. Anyways, okay. Uh, did we do it? That's it. Oh, wow. We're what a great episode. And I can't believe how much fun we had. Um, so we are going to be back next week. I think we're going to do a little more free agency trade-ish type discussion. Yeah, I want to do some depth talk. I want to talk about the Paul Millsaps. Talk about the Paul Millsaps. Maybe the Dennis Rodmans the team could add. You know, that. Interesting. That the, those, the those elite sub, utility players. The elite utility that could be added. Because. You know, the Nets have two stars. The Bulls had two stars. Who's the third piece that could really elevate the team? Oh, I bet, I bet John Hollinger talked you into Gobert, didn't he? That's what happened. That's what he I did, about to he hear. did talk. Yeah. He did talk me into Gobert, but I don't think I don't think that's happening anymore. Just from what you're getting out of Utah, I don't think that I don't think that that trade is going to happen the way that it was felt like maybe two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but more on that, more on that next week, right, Mike? Don't all of it next week. Thank you all <laughs> for listening. Uh, iTunes five stars. We need them. We want them. We have to have them. Brian, thank you so much. No, thanks for having me, Mike. It was oh so fun. Great. Bye, everybody.